Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19, 2 Samuel 19, we continue, of course, our study of the life of David, and we're, we, we started back, and we started, of course, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we'll go a little bit in 1 Kings, we're really looking at the kings, we started, of course, with Samuel, who was the last judge, and, and, and a priest, and then we've seen the Saul, who was the first king, and now David, who's the second king. We'll get into 1 Kings just a little bit, and we'll look at the life of Solomon. And right now, we're looking at David, and David is a man after God's own heart, and he is the one. We just love him, and yet, and we look at it, he, he did some things wrong. He, he is a man after God's own heart, but we're looking at a time of sorrow and trouble in David's life. Since his sin with Bathsheba, we're seeing the disciplined hand of God in his life. The prophet Nathan told him that the sword would not depart from his family, and there's going to be all kind of problems. This morning, we, we saw that uh, David's son, Absent rebelled named himself king. Uh, David had to flee. Then there's a battle, and David's army wins, and Absalom is killed. And so as we're looking, David's son who attempted to take the throne is now dead. And so what is David's response? And you could look at it this way and say, okay, David's, David's glad because David was the, is the king, and his son tried to take the, the throne away from him, and now he's dead, and David's going to be back to be king again. But the truth is, David is, is sad. There's sadness and sorrow. And David even ended, we ended last time by saying, he's saying, oh, I wish I would have died instead of you, Absalom, my son. And, and so what's going on? How does this come across? How, do, how does this sadness come across to those soldiers who risked their lives for David? We'll talk more about it as we go through it. In this passage, we're going to see several things. We're going to see unity. And we see the United of the Nation because there's been great division. There are people who followed Absalom from all the tribes and everything like that. And then so how does David get that back? And then we look at the idea of forgiveness. Now, in the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, forgiveness is, we talked about it a lot of different times. We'll talk about it a little bit more because we see that David shows forgiveness. He shows forgiveness to a man. His name is Shema, and we'll talk about him more when we get a little further on in the passage. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote some books, but he also wrote a, of a story, a, a true story, of two sisters live in Edinburgh. They had never married, and they lived together their lives and they had this large one-room apartment. One day they had a disagreement, a sharp disagreement. As time passed, their anger grew, and they stopped speaking to each other. Instead of forgiving one another and solving the dispute, the anger went on and the silence went on, and they refused to speak to each other. And then what they did is they took a chalk, a line, and they drew it down the middle of their one-bedroom kind of like apartment thing, and it was fixed where you could come in the door, you know, it was right in the middle of the door, and then it was the middle of the fireplace and thing, and so they were on each side. And they spent the rest of their lives never speaking to each other again. We would say, oh my goodness, they didn't forgive one another, they didn't talk again, they didn't communicate. You know, sometimes the things happen in the body of Christ. Sometimes two believers will have a dispute, they'll they, and, and technically, they'll end up drawing a line, and they're saying, I'm not crossing that line. I'm not talking to that person. I'm not seeing that person. And we're, we'll talk about forgiveness, because we're going to see David actually does forgive. In this passage, we'll see what happens. And then as we get a little further over, there may be some chapters on down, we'll see what really happens and, and how that all ties together. This morning, we're going to see uh, the return of David. He's coming back. He's going to take his kingdom back after Absalom's tried to take it away. And we'll see the issue of forgiveness. We'll see the issue of unity 
because he's trying to unify the nation and the whole idea of communication. Because that's really one of the keys in the forgiveness aspect is to communicate with each other. And we'll see how all that ties together as we go through it. Let me give you sort of the outline of the passage this morning. It's, uh, we're just looking at a few of the verses, of course. But uh, we're going to see victory to morning. What happens? The king is weeping. The people are leaving. We see Joab gives advice. Then we see restoration. And, and, uh, and, and what happens basically even at the end with the guy named Shemai is forgiven. We'll see what happens. So look at chapter 19 of 2 Samuel, and just remember that Absalom, David's son, rebelled, stole the hearts of the people, claimed that he's going to be the king. He's getting back at his father. He, that David wouldn't speak to him for a long time. Once again, no communication, so that just destroyed that relationship. So Absalom claims to be the king. A whole bunch of people follow him. Some of the tribe of Judah follow him. It's just wild. David runs for his life. He has his mighty men with him. Mighty men are great warriors. The Absalom comes after David, and David's mighty men defeat them. Absalom is killed. If you remember, David said to his soldiers and to his generals, deal gently with my son Absalom. Basically, take care of him. But in the middle of the battle, Absalom's riding on a mule. Head gets stuck up in a tree. Probably his hair got hung. Got hung. He's floating back and forth. And, and Joab comes up and puts three spears right there, and they bring him down. Ten men beat him to death, and they kill Absalom. And, of course, David didn't want that to happen. And David has found out that Joab was responsible for killing his son. We'll see more in a little bit. So now David is upset. And we would all be upset if one of our children was killed. But here's the problem. This man was in rebellion against David. So what's going to happen? What should happen? We ended last time by David saying, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's how we ended Uh, chapter 18. So what's happening now? Look at chapter 19. Look at verse 1. Then it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. Well, I mean, why is the king weeping? Well, he lost his son. And, And we brought this up last week, and there's just something for you to think about. Why is he so upset that Absalom is dead? You know, Absalom was in rebellion. He hadn't had a relationship with Absalom, really. So why is he so upset? Well, we, we brought it up last week that maybe, maybe he knew that Absalom wasn't a believer, that maybe that Absalom had never believed in the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And so David is so upset because Absalom died and, and possibly not, not as a believer. It could be that he just loves him. It could be just, just so much involved there. But David is really just weeping and mourning. And uh, the, you could almost see some of the soldiers, we're going to see this. Some of the soldiers say something like this, we risk our lives for him. Does he even care? Does he even care that we risk our lives? He, he's so upset about Absalom. Well, what about us? We risk our lives. And if you look at verse 2, notice it says, The victory that day was turned to mourning for all the people. For the people heard it. It said that day that the king is grieved for his son. And so what's happening, the, the king is grieving for his son, and the people are, instead of them being happy that they had a great victory and they saved David's life and they're going to come back and he's going to be the king, instead of all that happening, David's all upset and crying and weeping, and, and the, the people are going, well, does he even care about us? And look at verse 3. So the people went, by, and then when he says people here, we're talking about his soldiers because, see, there, the, Jerusalem, and then there's the Jordan River, and then over by the forest of Ethraim on the other side of the Jordan River is where David and them had this battle. So they've not come back to Jerusalem. They're with all his soldiers, and so he's calling his men, the people, or the writer is calling his men, the people. So it says, so the people went by step into the city that day. 
as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. Now, the soldiers are going around as if they lost the battle. The soldiers were embarrassed as if they lost the battle because the way David is acting, they're saying things like, does he even care about us? We risk our lives. We went to fight for David. We were his mighty men. We're fighting for David. And he seems like he cares more about Absalom than he cares about us. In fact, it almost seems that he would rather all of us be dead and Absalom be alive. And, and so it says they, uh, the people went by by stealth, like humiliated. And then verse 4 says, The king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Great sorrow. And the men are going to think, what, what, what about us? We risk our lives. Now, Joab's going to come. Now, we've talked about Joab. Joab is David's nephew, but he's been the general. He's a powerful man. We've always said this, that you would rather have Joab on your side. Sometimes Joab does some really good things, and sometimes Joab does some really bad things. There are times that Joab kills people for no reason, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But Joab's going to do something right. He's going to come to David, and he's going to warn David. He's going to say, David, do you realize by what you're doing The people think you don't care anything about them. Your soldiers think you don't care about them. So look again at verse 5. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who today have saved your lives and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. He says, you've you've put them all to shame. So Joab's going to show some wisdom. And here's what he says. You've made all your soldiers and all the people have shame. They all think you lost. They think you, you would have rather all of them die and absent stay alive. These are the people that have risked their lives for you. He goes on down and explains. He says, by, by loving those who hate you and hating those who love you, you have shown today the princes and the servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. He says, you've loved those who hate you and you hated those who loved you. You've loved Absalom who hated you and tried to kill you and wanted to take over the kingdom and you're hating those who loved you, who have been your soldiers, who've stood by you, who are your mighty men. It's coming across like you don't care about us. And and if you notice the passage, Joab puts his name in there. He says, "It, it would be better if all of us were dead today that you would be pleased. Now, I think when Joab tells that to David, he goes, what, what are you, I, I, I'm not coming, across, am I coming across that way? See, sometimes in our lives, we don't realize how we come across. We don't realize what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're doing, and how other people see that. That's why communication is so important. When David wouldn't communicate with Absalom, it caused all this problem. Now, David is not communicating with his soldiers. And what do they think? They think David would rather have Absalom alive and them all dead. And that's not right. David would say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I love my men. I'm so glad they fought for me. I'm so glad that we won. But that's not how it's coming across. In fact, let's think about it for a second. Communication is so important. That's, that's why it's so important that we communicate with each other. See, sometimes something happens, we say something, or we do something, we don't even know we do it. But sometimes how we come across, people don't know. Or... You know, they look at us and they judge something immediately and they think, well, what they think and what we need to do sometimes. In fact, a lot of times instead of being mad or upset with somebody, 
go to that person and talk to them. The Bible actually says, Jesus says, something, you've got an issue, any issue with somebody, go straight to them one-on-one. The communication is so important. It is so easy for people to misunderstand and to think something different. And you may be doing something and somebody say, well, I know. And, and this, here's the truth is, we cannot judge people's motives. We can judge their actions, but we can't judge their motives. Sometimes people say, well, I know why you're doing that. No, you don't. You don't. Not until you talk to them. And so we see that communication is vital. And David should be communicating to his people. That's one thing when you think about our church. We have a congregational meeting, several of them a year, especially when we do budgets and do all those kind of things because we want people to be able to ask any kind of question or to communicate or to talk about what's going on. In fact, with our church, if you've got issues or questions about anything, any ministry, we want to know, we want to talk, we got to communicate. So look what Joab says to do. Now, he's doing good here. Look what he says. He says, now, therefore, verse 7, therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord... If you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. He says, you better go out and speak to your people. You better go out and speak to your soldiers. You better go out and speak to those. Because if not, by the time the night's over with, they'll all be gone. You'll lose every one of your people. And if you think it's been bad up to now, it's going to be the worst it's ever been. He says, it's going to be worse for you than all the evil that's ever come upon you. He says, you better talk to your men. That's why communication is so vital. He says, if not, they're going to desert you because they're saying to themselves, you don't care about us. You only care about Absalom and he's dead. You wish we were dead and he was alive. And David's going, oh my goodness. I didn't realize that. So look what happens in verse eight. So the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting at the gate. Then all the people came before the king. These people here are his soldiers and the mighty men. They've all been out in the court of the wilderness, and they come together. The verse ends by saying, Now Israel had fled east to his tent. That was the, the enemies. That was the ones that were fighting against David. They've all run off. And David comes and talks to his people. Now, he doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us in the passage what David said to them. He most likely said, Men, I, I've, I've, I've made some mistakes I love you. You are my men. You are my mighty men. We've been together for a long time. We, we've stopped this rebellion. You have given the victory. And I'm sorry if for some reason you thought that I didn't love you and that I didn't care for you. He's got to have done that. Or else he would have lost all his men. And sometimes it takes us to come and communicate and tell what we really feel and what we really mean. And one of the things we really need to do sometimes is tell each other we love each other. Sometimes it's hard to say, I love you. But we need to say, I love you, because that's what sets us apart from everyone else. Jesus said, they'll know you belong to me by your love for one another. And if we want to have a testimony in this community, if we want to be unique, it goes back to our love one for another. So David is trying to unify the nation. He's trying to bring his, his soldiers and then everybody back. Now, you can't tell it in this passage until you get further down what's going on, but here's what's happened. I'll give you the heads up. You'll see it as we go through the passages. Many of the tribe of Judah, that's David's tribe, followed Absalom. They didn't go with David. Now, as David's now the king, some of the tribe from Judah, they say to themselves, what do we do? Uh, is he going to be for us? 
We were actually on the losing side, and we actually took Absalom's side, but David should be the king, and they, they, they weren't welcoming David back. Because, see, when David is about to come across the Jordan River, and as he's going to come across the Jordan River, he's expecting the tribe of Judah and all the other people to come and say, welcome home, David, let's go into Jerusalem. But the tribe of Judah isn't doing that. And David is told that your tribe has not come to help you. So watch what happens. We get verse 9. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he's fled out of the land for Absalom. Now Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? So some of the people are saying to the tribe of Judah, Why are you not wanting King David to come back? What's the problem? And so why... Many of the tribe of Judah had followed Absalom. So why are they not necessarily going after David? Well, one, I think it's fear. They're afraid. What, what, what is David going to do when they show up and he says, you weren't for me? You were, uh, you were on the other side? Or they also, they, they'd been opposed to David and they don't know exactly what to do. So how is David going to unite all these people, especially his own tribe? And so we're going to see what happens. Watch what David does. Then King David sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, Say to the elders of Judah, talk to my tribe. Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brothers. You are my bone and flesh. Then why should you be the last to bring the king back? And so he's basically saying, Why is my own tribe not not They're the last tribe to bring me back. They ought to be the first tribe to bring me back. So how is David going to bring all this together? Well, watch what David does. The restoration begins. Look at verse 13. By the way, and the tribe of Judah was afraid of what David might do. So watch what he does. Now, you, you look at this passage and you tell me, do you think David did a wise thing or a dumb thing? Okay, verse 13. Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and flesh? May God do so to me, and more also, if you will not be the commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Now, David appoints Amasa as his new general. Now, let's, let's talk for a minute. We all know Joab. Joab's been David's general. And every now and then, Joab gets on the bad side of David, and David does something with him. But Joab has always been his general. He now says, I'm going to take Amasa and make Amasa my general instead of Joab. Now, who is this Amasa? If you remember, if you look back a couple of chapters, Amasa was the one who became the general for Absalom. He's Absalom's general. He's the general on the other side. And David says, okay, I'll, I'll get everybody together. I'll let Amasa become my general, and that'll show that everybody, we're all one big group. He's going to appoint Amasa. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you think this is going to go well with Joab? You know Joab's character. Joab will kill you if he doesn't like you. Joab will sneak up behind you and kill you, or, or he'll trick you and kill you, and if you're a Mesa, you ought to say, I, I don't think I want the job. That's what you probably would say. But a Mesa is going to take the job. And, and what, what we see is why would David do this? Well, first of all, unity. 
showing that they'll all be accepted and that David has forgotten this rebellion. But here's the second thing. I think he's punishing Joab for killing his son. I mean, you can almost see him say, Joab, didn't I tell you to treat gently with my son? And you can see Joab go, I know what you said, but we couldn't let him live. So David says, you're not going to do what I I told you to do. it, And if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to let you be general. I think he's punishing Joab. We all know that punishing Joab won't work. We know what kind of person Joab is. Just keep reading ahead if you want to find out. So we'll see what happens. Let's talk for just a minute about this unity. David's trying to unify the people. And and unity is so important. Unity is so vital in the body of Christ. I want you to think about this. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you understand that when a believer, when somebody believes in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that exact moment they believe in Christ, they are placed in the body of Christ. The, the moment they believe, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. They become a child of God. All the, but they're actually placed in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. God puts us all together in one body. There is the unity. Now, we have to maintain the unity. Notice what he says. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. God puts us all together. It's up to us to maintain that unity. Look what he says here. It, it, the point was, why, why, so, why is the unity so important for us? Well, first of all, it's our testimony in the community, and it's our ministry. Listen, if we love each other, if we maintain unity, we'll have a testimony in this community. If we love one another and we maintain unity, we'll have great ministry, not only in here, but out there as well. We all know that when believers don't get along, they don't have a testimony. When people say things like, yeah, churches, they're always splitting. Why are there so many churches? Because they keep splitting, because they can't get along with each other. That's what people say. The key for us is love and unity. That's the key. And we need to do that. We need to do that. Look what what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He's putting it all together. He says there's one of everything. There's one body, which is the church, the body of Christ. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, one hope of your calling, the hope of eternal life, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, faith alone in Christ alone, one baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, placing us in Christ, one God and Father of all. So he says, look, there's a unity. There's a unity aspect. We're all in this thing together. So watch. Therefore, I, as the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You're called children of God with which you have been called. So here's what you do. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. How in the world can you maintain unity in the body? Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. That's what the Bible tells us. We gotta be patient with each other. We gotta show humility. We gotta put others ahead of ourselves. We gotta be patient. We gotta show love. In fact, we're to maintain unity within the body by humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And that is the key. That's the key for the whole thing. We did a study some years ago called the one another's. There are over 50 places in the New Testament where the idea of one another is used. Love one another, build up one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, all those one another's, 50-something places. 
The overarching one another in the scripture, though, is love one another. Because if you love one another, all the rest will fit in there. And if we want to maintain unity, if we want to have a testimony in our community, if we want to be able to do the ministry, then we have to have that unity, and that comes through the love and humility and gentleness and patience. All of that ties together. And so we've got to do that. We've got to maintain that. David's trying to get it. He's trying to get everybody back. I'm going to be straight with you. I don't, I don't, I don't think David should have made a, a Mesa as the, as the general. I think he's getting back at Joab, and he's thinking that'll bring everybody together. We'll see what happens in the next couple of chapters as we continue on our study. Well, look at verse 14. It says, then return, then, Thus he returned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return you and all your servants. And so everybody, they all wanted David to be the king. The tribe of Judah wanted David to be the king. And so verse 15, then the king returned and came as far as the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal in order to meet with the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. And remember, they left Jerusalem, going east. They went up over the Mount of Olives. They went about 20 miles to the Jordan River. They crossed over the Jordan River. They went about another 15 or 20 miles up into what's called the forest of Ephraim. David has now come back, and they're at the Jordan River. And they're a little bit different place because they crossed over most likely around where Jericho was. Now they're up a little further to the north in a place called Gilgal. Gilgal is on the west side of the Jordan River. Gilgal means starting over. You go back through the history of the nation of Israel every time that they had some big event happen and they wanted to begin again, they all would go to Gilgal and start over. Now David's going to become the king again, so they all go to Gilgal to start over over. That's their plan. So notice again, the king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to go meet the king to bring the king across the Jordan. So we're saying everything's looking good. What about forgiveness? What's going to happen? What's David going to do? Well, notice verse 16. Then Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, who was from Bahum, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Now, he, this guy's coming. He's actually from the tribe of Benjamin. He's coming. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they all rushed to the Jordan before the king. Who is this guy named Shimei? If you remember, Shimei was this guy that threw rocks at David. Do you remember when David was leaving and Absalom was coming into the city and David was leaving and had his head covered. He was barefooted. They were going up the side of the Mount of Olives. David and his men were going with him. And this guy named Shimei came out. He's from the tribe of, of Benjamin. And he started accusing David of killing Saul and that David shouldn't have. And David was a murderer. And he picked up rocks and he was throwing at David and he was throwing dirt at David. He was cussing David and everything. And Abishai, one of David's fighters, his nephew, said, you want me to go over there and cut that guy's head off? And he went, no, 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 just leave him alone, leave him alone. Well, now they're coming back, and Shimei says, you mean David won? That means I'm in trouble because I cursed him as he left, and now he's coming back. So Shimei says, you know, I got two things I can do. I can run and hide, and he'll come kill me. Or I can go out and meet him, and either he'll kill me or he'll let me live. So I might as well go out and meet him. And so Shimei has come to meet David. You can almost see David when he says, ah, I remember you. You're the guy that threw rocks at me and cursed at me. That's what David could say. What happens? 
Look at verse 18. Then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. He comes and he, and he falls down in front of King David. And look what he says. So he said to the king, verse 19, Let not my lord consider me guilty. Now remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out of Jerusalem so that the king would take it to heart. Don't take it to heart what I did. For your servant knows that I've sinned. Therefore, behold, I've come today. The first of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. So he comes and he asks for forgiveness. He falls down. He admits he's wrong. He says, I was wrong. I shouldn't have thrown rocks. I shouldn't have cursed you. I shouldn't have done all that. But what could David do? David said, yeah, I remember you. Kill him. He could do that. In fact... Remember Abishai, who as they left the, the city and he was throwing rocks and Abishai said, you want me to go kill the guy? And David said, no, look what happens here. Verse 21, but Abishai, the son of Zerah said, hey, should not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Abishai says, I'll go kill him right now if that's what you want me to do. David said, no, no, no. What have I to do with you, old son of Zerah? Why should this day you be an adversary to me? This is not what I want. This is not what I want. Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am the king over Israel today? He said, no, 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 we're not going to kill anybody. We're not killing anybody. I'm, I'm the king. Everything's okay. I'm back. I'm back. And we're not going to go kill that man. And look what he says. The king said to Shimei, you shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. David said, nobody's going to die today. I'm the king. The killing is over. Now, you just have to go a couple of chapters on ahead to find out what happens to this man named Shimei. And so David says, I'm back. I want us to think for just a minute, and we'll, we'll be through in just a second. I want us to think about forgiveness, because David forgives this guy. And, and so forgiveness, we ought to forgive others. In fact, look at this right here. Be kind, tenderhearted, to find one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now think about this. How many sins, how many things have God forgiven us in the past, in the present, and going to be in the future? We'd go, well, I can't even count them all. So if God forgives us, he says, if God forgives us for all of this, and talking about fellowship here, then we should forgive others. That's what we're supposed to do. And forgiveness is one of the keys to unity as we love, as in love and forgiveness, we keep the unity of the body. What exactly is forgiveness? It means to release the debt. Now, let's talk about it. The Greek word for forgiveness is arao, and it means to lift up and take away. And forgiveness is this. Somebody hurts you, somebody does something wrong, and what you say is, they don't owe me anything. I let it go. I release the debt. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they don't need to come to me and say they're sorry. They don't need to do any of that. Now, you could say, well, they're getting away with it. No, they're not. For you, I want you to understand forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness is we release the debt. Because if you don't release the debt, if you're angry with someone and you don't forgive them, it'll make you angry, it'll make you bitter, ultimately you'll get depressed, it'll destroy your life. And that's why God says you forgive them, let it go, because God's going to handle it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says never return evil with evil, return evil with good. In fact, God says, look, and I will deal with them. See, we don't need to punish others. God takes care of it. He deals with those people. 
So forgiveness really is for us. Now let me say one other thing real quickly. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Reconciliation takes two people. You may go to somebody and you may say, I I did wrong and I'm so sorry and I want to be your friend. And they may say, I don't care. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You can't reconcile to them if they won't reconcile. There are times when it might be better for you not to reconcile because they may hurt you again. Forgiveness always. The moment somebody hurts you, forgive them. Let it go. Reconciliation is a different part. And it's always good if people can reconcile and get back together, but that doesn't always happen. We have to always forgive. So what have we seen? We've seen victory turn to mourning. Joab advises David. David comes to the people and tells them, I'm so sorry, and, and all the people turn back. And then the, the tribe of Judah's not coming back, so he gets them all together, and he appoints a Mesa to be the new general, and everybody comes back together. And then David forgives Shimei. What happens? What happens? We'll see it. So let me give you some applications real quickly. First, let's maintain, let's maintain unity within the body. Think about that. Just as David wanted to unite the nation, we need to be united because it affects our testimony. It affects our ministry, our testimony in this community, our ministry in, in, with among ourselves and in the body and in the community. And we do that. And the key is this. It's, it's love and humility and gentleness. That whole thing, the keys is communication. Listen, if somebody hurts you, don't be angry at them and bitter at them. And all. Listen, first of all, forgive them. And, and if you need to, go to them and just say, I know you maybe didn't even know you did this. Because sometimes people will say, I did that. I didn't even know it. You think that they hated you and did something and you, they didn't even know they did it. So go to the person. That's why communication is so important. The second thing is let's forgive one another. That is a key. As David forgave Shimei, we got to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Remember how Christ, how much Christ has forgiven us. Pray for those who have offended us. Release the debt. Let it go. Forgive them and, and, and pray for them. And then look for ways to show love and kindness. That's, it's really a hard thing to do. This is the supernatural life. It's not the natural life. Forgiveness is for us. So forgive others. Release the debt. God deals with those who hurt us. Just remember that. Sometimes people hurt us and they don't even mean to. And sometimes people hurt us and they did it on purpose. God will deal with it. You release the debt and you go on with your life. Remember, when we're wrong, apologize. Tell them we're wrong. Shimmy did good by coming out there. I think he probably thought David was going to kill him no matter what he did. We'll see what happens.